Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. He kind of said in his take care of actions, well, one thing I'll tell you now, don't spend too much of your life in offices because nothing interesting ever happens in an office. And that was it. That was his advice for living. So I've, I've tried to live by that. <laughs> I always tell this to people who are planning trips to Ireland, you know, leave a day for doing nothing and be open to just meeting people and talking to people because Ireland has its, its beautiful scenery and it's, it's great things to do. But the real treasure of Ireland to me is the people, you know, the people you get to talk to and those were a couple clips from my interview today with National Geographic tour leader and author Jack Cavanaugh. He recently published a bit of a love letter to his home country of Ireland in the form of a new book. It's called Always Ireland, an Insider's Tour of the Emerald Isle. Of course, we're going to discuss that today. You're going to get the scoop on all things Ireland, from culture to where to find the best traditional music, a few incredible and less touristed road trips to consider taking, why chatting and daydreaming are Ireland's two unofficial pastimes, some festivals worth a visit. I'm going to share one of my personal favorite travel moments, which happened to me in Ireland, and where to find some of the best nature in Ireland, and plenty more, all happening today in the interview segment. Plus, I want to share something I had no idea Google could do, or did do, I should say. This cracked me up. I'm wondering if you knew this. I'll share a bit about that. And a shout out to a listener of this show who decided not to settle. I love her mindset about balancing what you want in daily life with travel. All that's happening in this episode right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I must say that today's destination, Ireland, is one of my favorite places to go. I actually mentioned this during the interview. It, for some reason, feels like home to me. It feels like a bit of a home. I'm drawn to it. Something about the music, the culture, the people, the nature. 
I love it. And I'm dying to get back. It's been a few years since I've been in Ireland, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of mentally take us all there. And of course, anytime you talk to an Irish person, they do tend to be able to spin a good yarn. And Jack Cavanaugh, uh, our guest today, certainly no exception to that. He shares a lot about what he loves about his homeland. And as a guide for National Geographic and author, he's able to be a representative of that culture and kind of be that conduit between us as travelers and the people and the place and the earth and the nature that is Ireland. So I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. Listen, I love a good Irish accent as well. I mean, someone tells a story with an Irish accent. It just draws me in a little more. I don't know why. <laughs> Must be a, a, I don't know if it's a me thing or just a traveler thing. Anyway, before we dive in, I had to share this. I thought it was hilarious. I Googled Ireland. Just see, all right, let me just type in Ireland and see what comes up. I'm sure there's going to be like billions of things, but let's just for fun see what we find. And believe it or not, on the uh, right side, oftentimes when you Google something, you'll find Google reviews. Well, who knew that Google reviews are enabled for entire countries? How do you review a whole country? <laughs> I was shocked to see there are almost 10,000 reviews for just Ireland as a country. So of course, I had to go in and read some of the one-star reviews for you. Just a couple highlights here. Here's a one-star review from Celeste uh, O'Connell. Sounds very Irish. Maybe she's a local. She said, I was bitten by a sheep in Ireland. I repeat, an actual sheep bit me with its teeth. I am not sure if I am now sheep Spider-Man, but it turns out that I am. I will give you all updates on my powers. <laughs> okay. Here's another one from uh, Jack, who says he's a French teacher. Not very good weather and not too interesting. Too misspelled. And here's another one that just says, nice. One star review. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what... Who is taking the time to leave a one-star review for the country of Ireland? Anyway, I'm giving it five stars. And if you've never been, or you've been many times, I think you're going to love this episode for all the recommendations, the culture, and a lot of the points we hit on with author Jack Cavanaugh. I'll read a little bit about Jack before we dive into the interview segment from his About the Author section of this book, Always Ireland, The Insider's Tour of the Emerald Isle. Jack has worked as an editor for National Geographic International Editions, which publishes books, magazines, and other media in more than 35 languages. He was also the senior editor for National Geographic Books, where he wrote and edited guidebooks on Ireland, Cuba, New York, Japan, and other destinations. Kavanaugh is also the author of National Geographic Complete National Parks of Europe. He is currently working on a book about the UNESCO World Heritage Sites to be published by Natgeo as well. So uh, it's got a lot of expertise as a traveler, as a journalist, as a writer, as a guide for National Geographic expeditions. I think you're going to enjoy hearing his stories about Ireland. And without further ado, let's get into them. Stick around on the back end. I'm going to give a shout out to a listener. I'll leave you with a great James Joyce quote and a bit of a challenge based on some of the discussion points in the interview segment. Let's get into it, shall we? I'll see you on the other side, my friend. I did a, a film with Nat Geo in Tokyo, of all places, um, so I a little bit of TV work, but I, I prefer 
I prefer words, to be honest with you. You know, I'm not a I'm not a visual guy. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about words today. I should officially welcome Jack Cavanaugh to the Zero to Travel podcast. Welcome, my friend. I'm loving your book, Always Ireland, an insider's tour of the Emerald Isle, which we're going to get into all things Ireland today. I couldn't believe it when I was reading your author bio in the book and saw that you split time between Philadelphia and Ireland. I'm a Philly guy. I'm from outside of Philly. I so I and I've been to Ireland. I mean, you can see I've got like my Irish, you could call it my Irish uniform on today. I got my hat from Ireland. I've got a green shirt. I got jeans on. I actually I was looking through your book and I saw a picture of somebody. I'm like, hey, I'm dressed exactly like that guy. So this is <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm I'm a, I've a, I've a, I suppose a, a split personality, really. I'm a Gemini, you know. So uh I, I'm, it's it's interesting, Jason. I've spent almost half my life in uh, Philadelphia now, and the other half in in Dublin. So uh, I don't really know who I am anymore. <laughs> now I um, it's it's uh, it's nice to have a foot in both camps, and it's nice to be able to go home uh, and and to see Ireland as as a as an outsider as well as somebody who's grown up there. Um, there's a nice phrase I read, uh, having the insight of an outsider, you know, which is, is very true. You see things from a fresh perspective. You see things from, uh, I take I take tours around Ireland uh, with National Geographic expeditions. I, I lead those. And it's lovely to see my own country from a, you know, perspective of people who are visiting for the first time and to be showing them around and to be noticing what they notice about it, you know, to be seeing all the good things that you probably take for granted, you know. Like like anywhere, in some ways, it's like yeah, I'm thinking about just being around my kids and the things that they notice, and me get a similar exactly version yeah, of that as a yeah, as a traveler. Yeah. I guess it's seeing things for the first time, seeing things with with new eyes. It's great. It's a great. It's a great way for for me to rediscover things in Ireland as well, and to and to share them. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I had to spend a good chunk of my life in Philadelphia because I was born there, but I mean, you're doing it by choice. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, that's a whole other podcast, Jason. It's, it's a long, long story, but basically uh, I, I came over, I was a, a freelance uh, writer, writing mainly sports uh, in the 1990s, and I came over for the 1994 World Cup. The paper that I was working for uh, had was just on the verge of closing down, so I I found a job writing in Philadelphia, and I just decided, well, what have I got to lose? I'll, I'll give it a year, and here I am, twenty seven years later. I'm uh, I'm married to a lovely woman who was born in Philadelphia, so we've settled here. But I go back to Ireland all the time. So as I say, I've a I've a foot in both camps, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to me being from the area. And I mean, well, you mentioned sports. What do you think about the Philadelphia sports fans? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> we've had a great year. Uh, we got to like, I think it's four finals, isn't it? Like uh, the soccer team got to the final, got beaten. The Phillies got to the World Series, got beaten. The Eagles just got beaten the other week. So it's kind of, it's it's nice and true to form for Philly, you know? And um where I come from, we, we have a thing called moral victories. You know, the Irish soccer team used to have a lot of moral victories. A moral victory would be a one-all draw against England, for example. But uh, So I can I can really relate to it. But um, I, I'll tell you a funny story about it. I, I love Philadelphia. I love I love the, the fact that the street's clear, you know, when, when the Eagles are playing and, and you can hear all the shouts from inside the rooms and everything. It's, it's wonderful. You know, it reminds me of Dublin during the World Cup, you know. When I came over here first, 
as I say, I, I was a, a freelance writer and I had a column in a, in a magazine called In Dublin uh, Entertainment uh, Magazine. So I went looking for all the great uh, boxing heroes of Philadelphia because, as you know, it's a, it's a real fight town, Philly, and it's had so many world champions that I was actually very excited to be stepping into this legendary place, you know. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, I couldn't find them. There was no, there was no kind of boxing hall of fame, or there was no, you know, big gym with all the photos or anything like that. So I went up to uh, Joe Frazier's gym to interview him, uh, and I talked to his son um, Marvin, and um, he, there was a huge big photo of him knocking out Ali on the wall and all that. But I, I kind of foolishly asked Marvin where uh, where all the statues were, you know. And I soon discovered, of course, that the only statue in this legendary boxing town is of a fictional character, <laughs> Hollywood fiction, you know. So that's that kind of says a lot about Philly. It's kind of funny. It's a, it's a fun town. I, I love living here, you know. Yeah. Do you? I mean. Do- yeah, yeah. It's 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 got its own its own quirkiness. It's you know it's between uh, New York and and DC, but it's kind of. Uh, it doesn't have the pretensions of either, shall we say? You know, it's it's a good it's a good fun town to to, to be in. You know, um, I worked in in DC for years for for National Geographic as well, so I've uh, I've seen that side of, of the capital as well, which I liked. You know, yeah. Uh, who's more cynical, the Irish or the Philadelphians? Well, they both have a kind of dark side, <laughs> which which I kind of like. You know? <laughs> <laughs> as I said, with the sports, you just expect the worst here, you know, and and uh, you know, you expect the call to go against you, which you know, as we saw with the Eagles the other week, it did, you know. So there's a certain fatalism here that I can really relate to, uh, you know, <laughs> with with the Irish. Um, you're from Bucks County, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was that is it the fatalism that makes you feel a little bit at home in Philly? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, but it's also just kind of a you know a, a workaday town. It's as I say, it's kind of unpretentious and it's um, it's rough around the edges, you know, which I, I kind of like. It's um, like I I was here for for a few years, then I moved to DC, but I came back here. You know, when I got married, we decided to settle here. Um, there's just something something I liked about it. You know, I can I can. Um, I feel at home in Philadelphia the same way as I'd feel at home in Dublin, you know? Really? Oh, that's a nice place to get to when, I mean, being somebody that lives in a foreign country as well, you know, I live in Norway and I'm from the States. So being outside of the homeland, it's nice when you start to get that feeling. It took a little while for me. I don't know how it was for you, but where I came back to Norway and I felt like, ah, like I could take that breath and be like, oh, I'm home. You know, exactly, yeah. didn't feel yeah. like that for a while. Yeah. How long have you been in Oslo? Jason? Now it's been about seven or eight years, something like that. I'm a citizen yeah. now, but yeah, yeah, it took a little while to feel like home. Yeah, there is that moment when you get off the plane in in your adopted home and 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 you realize something's changed because you feel like okay, now now I'm back home, you know. And it works the other way as well. You kind of you do you do start to become a visitor in your own homeland, which um, you know that was starting to happen after ten years with me, but. Um, what was lovely about getting the expeditions job was that, you know, it brought me back more regularly and, and I kind of felt a part of it. And, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'm thinking about buying a house over there now. So that's probably where we'll, we'll end up, you know, when we, when we retire. Um, but as I say, it's nice to be in, it's nice to have the two, the two places, you know. When you say the expeditions job, you're referring to your work as a tour guide for Nat Geo Expeditions doing the, 
I have the That's name. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a trip called um, Tales and Treasures of the Emerald Isle. I'm not so much a, a guide. There, there's there's a professional guide on it who works full time in Ireland, but I'm I'm just the um, they call me the expert. But I, I give a few lectures, um, a few presentations, and I just you know talk people around. It's a, it's it's an ideal job. It's lovely. You're you're basically a host in your own country, which is is really lovely. As I say, it's it's nice just to show people around. Um, you know, to all the all the places you know, and and to kind of welcome them. Um, I often say, like, you know, America's been great to me. It's it's given me a, a career. It's given given me my wife and a whole new life. So it's it's kind of nice to give back to them to 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 bring Americans over to to Ireland and and, and give something yeah. in return. You know. Yeah, it sounds uh, fulfilling, and uh, well, I guess in that way you're a you're a bit of a conduit to the culture. Well, with a group like that, where you're really introducing them to some of the concepts. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about culture and destinations, really yeah, into yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. Well, you studied English literature and philosophy in Dublin, and those two majors, I would say, and then like <laughs> liberal arts, are probably the three ones where people like, oh, that's a recipe for just not having a job ever. Yet, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've carved well, out this uh, amazing career for yourself. I'd love to hear your advice. You know, when, when you grow up in Ireland, in Dublin particularly, uh, hey, everyone's a writer um, of, of English literature, you know, in a, in, a, in a Dublin style or whatever. As you know, the Irish reinvented English literature. And I think Joyce said, you know, Ireland's revenge on England was to, to colonize its language, you know, so, so that's true. Every, everyone's a poet in Dublin and in Ireland, you know, we even have a, the, the president is now a poet as well. So there's that. And then of course, if you go out to the pubs in Dublin, everyone's a philosopher as well. You know, so it's kind of just a, a natural progression, you know? Um, but, but it was, uh, it gave me a nice grounding in in journalism and uh, and in in writing. I always knew I wanted to be a writer, you know. Um, I always, as I said, I'm I'm a, a words guy rather than a visual guy. Um, so it was it was lovely to do to do the book because um, you know, I got to put into words all the things that that make Ireland special to me, and I got to um. I got to travel around Ireland and, and a great excuse to knock on everyone's door and talk to them. Um, and I, I, people are kind of surprised when they open the book because they, they, I think a lot of people with National Geographic, they're expecting a travel guide. Whereas this is more of uh, what I would call a, a kind of aspirational travel book. You know, I think the days of travel guides in books are gone because, you know, you, you can keep stuff up to date on a web. You can get a, a better map on a web and you can see if, if you get a, a restaurant booking or whatever on the, on the web, much easier than, than looking in a book, obviously. Um, so I, I like to think this is a, like an aspirational travel guide as I, I call it a dreamer's guide to Ireland. You know, um, it's a book that you can buy before you go six months before you go, whatever, and kind of just dip into prior to going and, and read a bit about the history, the culture, the background, the food, whatever you're into, the music, um off the beaten path places and and you can say oh yeah i'd like to do that or we should do that or it's it's a it's a, a kind of recipe for daydreaming and i have a page in the book where um i pay tribute to a a, a guy i really admired growing up uh, a writer in dublin whose name was con Hulahan. he's a carryman 
And Conor Ullin worked for the Irish Press during the short time that, that I worked there. He was the, the, the main sports writer. But to say he was a sports writer, again, is, is really underserving him because he was more of a philosopher. And a, a, he would give like English literature uh, lectures within a column. He'd write about anything. He just wrote about life you know, under the guise of sports. And it was great stuff. But he, um, so, so he kind of uh, gave me some great advice as to what you're saying there, Jason. Um, he took me for a pint at 10 o'clock in the morning, my first week on the job and kind of sat me down and uh, asked me who I was first of all and what my story was and what I was doing in the Irish press, blah, blah, blah. And his his great advice to me, which is it's in the book, but I'll, I'll share it with your with your listeners now. And anyway. um, he he kind of said in his take care reactions, he said, "Well, one thing I'll tell you now: don't spend too much of your life in offices because nothing interesting ever happens in an office." And that was it. That was his advice for living. So I've I've tried to live by that. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of getting away with it slowly but surely, like. Um, you know, by, by by writing books like this, which is uh, it's it's great fun, you know. But it's uh, as I say, it's it's like a, a dreamer's guide to Ireland rather than a, a, a travel guide or whatever. There are some practical things in it, but it's mainly about you know how you see Ireland and how you how you approach Ireland, kind of psychically, mentally, and emotionally. You know. Yeah, I feel like you're psychically uh, reading my some of my interview preparation notes here because I was going to bring up Con Houlihan and that exact quote because I think uh, if you're going to lean on a quote for a life, that's a, that's not a bad one, right? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the other great quote, and I think I put it in that in that piece on him, but his great adage was, "Daydreaming is good for you." You know, <laughs> yeah, he believed in daydreaming. Like you know, if you don't daydream, you're not alive because you know you're not thinking of what you really want to do. You're thinking, of, you know, the work I have to get done, or you know, bills I have to pay, or whatever. So I, I, I uh, and I think daydream is a very Irish thing. It's very uh, creative. The Irish are kind of connected to the the creative arts, and and, and de- there's a lot of daydreaming goes on in Ireland, and it's it's good fun. And I always tell this to people who are planning trips to Ireland. You know, leave a day for doing nothing. You know, um, and 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 be open to just meeting people and talking to people because. You know, Ireland has its, its its beautiful scenery and it's it's great things to do. But the real treasure of Ireland to me is the people. You know, the people you get to talk to, and Irish people love to talk, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> but um, so you should you should you know consider that as being one of the real gems of Ireland is is having time to talk and sit and relax, or you know, um, being open to to meeting people. Yeah. Well, this was something you said in the book, you said Ireland's two unofficial pastimes, chatting and daydreaming. So I, I mean, I just love that advice. If you're going to spend a day doing nothing, well, may, maybe you can have one or two to-dos, right? Chatting and daydreaming. Exactly, yeah. That's a great way to spend a day in Ireland, especially. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such it's a special place. Yeah. It's strange, but I feel at home in Ireland when I have gotten the chance to visit uh, two times and... I don't know why. It just feels it feels right. I thank you for sharing everything that you shared about the book and how it's structured as sort of a guidebook. Because I was going to mention that. I feel like this is sort of like a new age guidebook in, in, in the sense that it's not a guidebook. It's just giving you some recommendations, but there's like no prices. There's no a traditional guidebook type of things. You get more of like the stories and the history, and but in, in a really cool way. So 
I've been really enjoying it. And, you know, as a lover of Ireland, thank you for that. Thanks for sending it over. The one thing that, that we do kind of, uh, that I did steal from, I, I used to edit uh, guidebooks for, for Nat Geo. Um, the one thing I thought I, I would keep in that is drives. Um, because we can always drive somewhere, you know, and um, you, you'd mentioned to me in an email about about pre-planning and, and, and you know, what should you tell people who are pre-planning uh, trips around Ireland? And that's the one thing I, I would say that you, you can plan is a few good drives. First of all, I think if, if at all possible, if, if you can, hire a car in Ireland because it's, it's such an easy place to drive, you know. Now, yeah, we drive on the left, you know, which doesn't suit Americans, but you get used to it. And it's 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 not like driving around Philadelphia or 95 or whatever. The roads are, are, are you know, there's less traffic. Uh, if you don't get used to it, you just die. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but but no. no, but we we do have actually great roads. Um, you know, <laughs> since I left, the roads got really good. But um, we they're, they're very well maintained. They're very easy to use. The, the signs are all in English, which helps, of course, you know, and and in Gaelic as well. But um, it's it's such an easy place to get around. Like you know, I'm planning a trip uh, with with a guy from Ohio for April, and we're just going to base ourselves in Bray, which is in County Wicklow, my hometown. But we're planning all these day trips, and and you can get anywhere in Ireland within a day, you know, because the the highways are good. But my my other advice for pre planners is you know take the highways to get there to get to somewhere like Connemara and then go off go off on the byways because that's where you'll really uh, you'll meet a lot of people and, and they're just they're beautiful anyway like the hedgerows are beautiful but um, as I say Irish people love to talk and you, you can just stop and talk to somebody who's leaning over a fence and you'll have a good half an hour's entertainment and you, you'll find out about the locality and a lot of people will have the time for that you know. I think using GPS in Ireland is, is kind of missing the point. You know, I think you're 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 uh, eliminating half the entertainment of Ireland if you don't stop and 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 ask directions and chat with people and you know people people uh, people will be interested in you as well where you're from and all that because as you know there's there's 20 million Irish people abroad so you know if you say oh yeah I'm from Bucks County they'll say oh yeah no go down the road he's you know he's from Mead but he's over there these last 20 years or whatever. There's, there's Irish people everywhere, and, and they do love to talk, and they're very interested in people from outside, you know. Um, and, and the other thing is the the people you meet on the road are great. Um, I I have a uh, an Instagram page, and I was writing the other day about a woman called Helen Riley, and Helen Riley is one of these people we just met on one of the back roads. Helen Riley and her people are travelers. They're part of the traveling communities, which are, you know, they're not in settled houses. They just go around the country. They're um, nomads. Nomads, exactly. Yeah. Modern day nomads. But these have been in Ireland for for hundreds of years, if not thousands, the traveling community. Um, And Helen Riley was just at the side of the road in Waterford. She'd stopped, uh, unhitched the horse from her very old traditional wooden caravan. So that the horse could uh, could graze, and we got chatting to her, and I've known her ever since these last four years. So I, I put her story in the book with the story of the travellers, you know. But that's the kind of thing that happens if you have a car in Ireland. It's lovely. You just stop, you meet, you chat to people, you learn, you know, uh, you learn so much about about Ireland. Like the, I've learned huge amounts of Ireland from just doing that in the last few years, you know. Yeah, well, I, you mentioned them having the time to talk. Is it that? 
they have the time to talk or they're willing to make the time to talk? Uh, it's a bit of both because, you know, it's I, I don't want to paint a kind of uh, exile's romantic view, over romanticized view of Ireland here because, you know, I, I realize it's a modern country and it's 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 uh, it's got its problems and it's got its challenges. And like everywhere else, you know, we all have to make a living and, and, and people are busy. But I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's that they do make the time to talk. And I think it's that they they appreciate the fact that you want to talk. They'll, they'll give you the time to talk, you know. Um, and they also like talking. They like sharing things. You know, they like stories. Um, Irish people are, are great storytellers. Why? Um, Why is that? Why are they great well, storytellers? I suppose it's just the way history shaped us, you know. Uh, if you think of... 300 years ago or 400 years ago, uh, there was no TV, there was no uh, radio. So people would just sit around a fire and tell them stories to pass the time, you know. But it's also, I think it's to do with the Gaelic language as well. It's a very kind of um, poetic language, lyrical language. So there's a way of telling stories that's, that's particularly good in Ireland that's very... Um, very dramatic. Uh, a, a guy in the book, actually, very interestingly, he he told me he's a Shanachie himself, which means an ancient storyteller. He's in that tradition. He's a musician that I I, uh, I talked to then in Kerry, uh, Thomas O'Sullivan. Uh, great guy, great, very eloquent guy. Such a good storyteller that we actually had to give him. He's the only person in the book with two pages because he expand, he was so expansive, you know. But he was he was compared storytelling in Ireland to jazz, which I thought was very interesting. And he said, like, you're gonna have your basic riff, you know, and the, like you have the bones of the story. We, you know, and even if somebody who's heard it before, like they'll, they'll be telling the same stories over and over again in the country, um, but they'll, they'll just have new twists on it. You know, they'll add a little bit to make it more interesting, or they'll change it slightly. You know, um, bringing a new character or or kind of. Put the put the blame for a crime on somebody else, and, and and off it goes, and it's a whole new thing. And the Irish are very good at reinventing. You know, what I mean, they're, they're, they're very imaginative race. That's that's what I find from from being outside there now. Um, they like that kind of thing of reinventing themselves. You know, um, and it's it's been in touch with with uh, what would you call it the the higher ground, the the the, the creative spirit. I'll give you an example. Actually, I was I was um, online yesterday and something about U2 popped up. Um, so they have a new film and they have a new album called Songs of Surrender. So, And basically what they've gone, they've just re redone their whole catalogue or their back catalogue, a lot of it anyway. A lot of these songs that he talked about in his, his recent biography, Bono, you know. But, um, you know, they've stripped them down and they've kind of, I haven't listened to it, but they, what they're saying is they they've, rewritten the songs as if they were written today rather than say in the 1980s or whatever with the, with the new technology and you know with the new voice and all that so i know a lot of people do that but it's 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 a typically irish thing to do is to keep reinventing yourself you know we had to do it because we had to go abroad as well you know um the part of the book from my own experience that i tried to, to squeeze into the story of ireland was the untold story of ireland which is the exile story you know so there's 20 million irish people abroad so they all have to reinvent themselves constantly you know so that's part of being irish is that thing of going abroad you know starting again start start over start again 
and then maybe some of them come back and have to, you know, do it all again. As <laughs> you, you can you can relate to that, Jason, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I want to talk destinations. We're going to do it through a little game I'm calling Where to Go For... Dot, dot, dot. Where to Go For... Dot, dot, dot. So where do we go for nature? You can give us like one or two of your favorite spots. Uh, nature. Well, my own favorite place to go for nature would be Glendalough, um, which is a 6th century uh, monastic ruins, but it's it's where it's set. It's so beautiful. It's set in um, Glendalough means the glen of two lakes in, in Irish. So it's in County Wicklow. It's very close to Dublin. It's very close to Bray, where I'm from. So when I was growing up, we would cycle down there. You know, it's, it's about an hour's cycle. But it's just really, really beautiful place. Very, very peaceful. I kind of, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I do kind of feel there's some kind of psychic energy about Glendalock that's very calming to me. And Anytime I, you know, if I'm troubling my life or if I need to work something out, I go just on a long, long hike in in Glendalough because it's so beautiful. There's woods. There's there's two steep mountains going into the glen. Uh, just just an amazing place to walk walk through. You can actually walk all the way from 
well, from practically Dublin, uh, if you take the Wicklow Way, which is a, is a trail, it would take a couple of days probably, but you can walk right into Glendalough. And the, as I say, the monastic settlement, uh, St. Kevin's monastic settlement, it's still got its round tower and it's got ruins of, um, I suppose, what was a village at once, one point. But it just feels very, uh, there's, there's something about it. Like you, you realize that, that you're walking into, into real Irish history there because that would be the place where, you know, they, they, they wrote the books, they, they kept the Bible alive during the Dark Ages and they, they would um, be attacked by Vikings and that. So it's a very special place, you know, for me. That, that's where I would go for nature, you know. One of the things I do with, with, with the guests on the, on the expeditions tours is I read them a lot of poetry because I'm big on poetry and there's a beautiful poem called St. Kevin and the Blackbird. Um, so if your listeners want to look up that, that's about St. Kevin who founded the monastery there in Glendalough and how he kind of becomes part of nature. Uh, and, and that's where I feel about going to Glendalough. You, 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 you lose yourself because the nature is so beautiful um, that you're, you kind of see your own place in the world. It's not that important, you know, your troubles aren't that important. So that would be my place to go for, for nature anyway. One of many in Ireland, I should say. I, I, the, the other book that I wrote was was the, Nas, the National Parks of Europe. And so I got to see all the National Parks of Ireland very well. And that was just, they're, they're, there's lovely National Park. Glenvay up in um, in Donegal would be another National Park worth seeing if, you, if you're into hiking and nature. And an absolutely beautiful place. You know? That doesn't sound like a bad gig. You don't, you don't got a bad gig going on, <laughs> do you, Jack? <laughs> I, I can't complain, yeah. I, can't complain. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't thought about, you know, maybe the best nature is just the nature that kind of makes us forget about ourselves. So as you mentioned, I think that's a really... Yeah, I mean, Norway cool is, about it. Is, is a wonderland for that, isn't it? It's just beautiful. Yeah, beautiful it really country. is. All right, where should we go for music? I'm a huge fan of the whole music scene in Ireland, the trad, the the whole... I mean, if you want to describe kind of the culture around music a bit. Uh, I know it, it runs deep. Of course, when you go out to a pub and you, you hear people playing or you see the spontaneity and like these jams and, and, and I can start connecting it to like, you know, this is the foundation of bluegrass. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And then you're, and then you're there in the dark wood. And I mean, I'm getting chills just talking about it, man. Where should we go for, for music? And you could talk a little bit about music in, in Ireland and the importance of it to, to the country. Uh, well, m- music is absolutely huge in Ireland. Um, you know, I think Ireland would just grind to a halt if 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 you took a you know if, if music was banned <laughs> tomorrow, which which it was uh, under the penal laws in seventeen hundreds. Uh, you know, so imagine the seismic shock of saying you can't play your music. You know, um, and of course, like everything else, it goes underground. You know, um, so you know you have you have people playing in in bushes and things like that. Um, so. I, I, I do tell that story to, to, to my guests, you know, that a lot of Irish culture and, and music, uh, it became very subversive, you know what I mean? It's a very subversive thing, uh, the arts in, in Ireland. It's it's a way of challenging the, the authorities, you know, a lot of the time, you know, which is interesting. But um, I've done, I, I just love going home. One of the reasons I love going home is, is because I go out to see live music. Um, so, I, I, you know, I usually end up in Dublin, like, uh, Bray is, is just 12 miles from Dublin, my hometown. So I, I, I have a friend, a great music girl called Keith Brittle in Ireland, and I tell him I'm coming home, and he says, oh, well, here's what's going on that week, so we go and see a gig or whatever. So 
you know, I've seen so many gigs in, in Dublin down the years. Um, the, the the current darlings of the Dublin scene, and I might be a bit out of, out of date here now with this, but uh, the last band that I really was blown away by uh, are a band called Fontaine's DC. They're kind of a post-punk band, but I, I like them because they actually sing in Dublin accents, which I think is great, you know. They, they don't try to hide it, you know. Um, but it's so it's so varied what you can hear in Dublin and what you can hear around the country. Like that's that's the thing about Ireland. Irish people are very open to music of all types. It's very eclectic country musically, you know. Um, partly because we're an an island, so we've always traditionally welcomed outsiders in. We're very good at absorbing, you know, the outside influences and 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 melding them in. Um, and and of course the other thing as as you you, you mentioned there is that. We've gone abroad, you know. We've 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 had to go emigrate. A lot of us, um, and we bring our music with us, you know. So from the eighteen forties or whatever, when when the famine times, um, right back to the Scots Irish before that, they would always bring the fiddles with them. So you know, this is how you ended up with uh, with fiddle great fiddle players in West Virginia or whatever like that. They all they all settled there and, and it evolved and it became uh bluegrass and it became country and western, I suppose, you know. So the people I bring around Ireland are always amazed how much we love country music, you know, country <laughs> country and western music. But it's quite natural because uh it, you know, in a way we invented it, or at least we invented the roots of it years ago and it, it, it went to as I say, West Virginia and then Nashville and Tennessee and all these places. So uh, it kind of evolved into an American uh, roots thing. So w- one of the interesting quotes I came across when I was writing the book was, uh, you know, you know, the chieftains, uh, Paddy Maloney of the chieftains who died there, I think la- late last year. Um, Paddy Maloney said that he felt instantly at home when he was in, when he first went to Nashville, you know, um, and that makes perfect sense because you know the music was all music he would have heard growing up, and 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 it was very familiar to him, you know. So, th- like that's what I love about Ireland is you can go out and you don't know what you're going to get, you know. Uh, you could be in a pub, like it's, it's it'd be quite um, a normal thing to be in a pub somewhere in say in Kerry or Clare or something like that. And you know, if you go in at six o'clock, there'd be a session going, and a session, as you know, is it just kind of impromptu jam session where you know anyone with a guitar shows up there's a fiddle player there might be a, a baron player with the drum the goatskin handheld drum um and it would you know they'd be playing jigs and reels for an hour or so um and then at eight o'clock you might have a, a, a country and western uh, singer coming in singing johnny cash songs and that kind of thing you know and then you might have a, a rock and roll band on at 10 o'clock you know um followed by a disco after like it's it's very very eclectic you know it's uh irish people are very flexible they're very adaptive um people and and they do like you know they like experimentation as i said to uh jason you know it's like um talking to bono there like bono one of my favorite bono songs he wrote for willie nelson uh song called slow dancing you know it's very very it's a country waltz basically is what it is you know um he wrote another one for frank sinatra kind of lounge lounge lizard song uh he did um he did that one with uh pavarotti opera melded opera into it you know this is a good example of like they they, they just um 
Irish people like experiment and they don't like to be put in a box. You know, you're a, you're a country and Western singer, you're a this, you're a that. So anything goes in Ireland and, and the music scene is, is very, very like that. You know, um, it's we're, we're kind of open to anything. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, actually, as you're as you're sitting in, Os- in Oslo there. Um, so a few years ago, I was on the uh, on the Nat Geo Expeditions uh, cruise up to Svalbard and absolutely amazing trip like the trip of a lifetime for me because I've, I've always wanted to see Norway but um we were up way way up north uh I think it was a very very remote little place where you know you have all these tiny little villages that are snowed in for the winter um somewhere like to, towards Tromso is that right I, I can't really remember where it was but anyway um the captain made an announcement that there was going to be a folk band uh, being tendered onto the ship for the evening for the evening's entertainment so I got very excited about this because I love music I thought great we'll hear a bit of Norwegian folk music this should be really interesting you know um, but <laughs> they introduced themselves as the Gubliners and I said like, what the Gubliners <laughs> they were a they were a Dubliners tribute band <laughs> so we were sitting there on this boat like you know on, on a fjord in in Norway uh listening to Dubliner songs which was lovely it was great but I kind of I, I got a chuckle out of it you know kinda, you tried to get away and the Irish yeah, still yeah, around. it kind of shows you the 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 influence that Irish music has or you know particularly traditional Irish or folk music has you know so it was, it was kind of funny but but it's yeah it's like Music, I should say, though, to, to answer your question, um, go to County Clare, um, to a little town called Doolan in County Clare, which is is basically the the um, the home of, the spiritual home of, of Irish music, you know. Um, there are four pubs, at least the last time I was there, which was pre-COVID, there was four pubs in Doolan, and... Uh, and they all try to outdo each other by having the best musical session. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. There's there's McGann's, there's McDermott's, there's O'Connor's, and Fitzpatrick's. And they're all great pubs. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter which one you go to. Like, you know, you'll probably end up staying four nights there because uh, you, you want to get around them all. And, and uh, if, if you're a, a player yourself, if you have a guitar with you or a tin whistle or whatever you can join in you know if you're if you're respectful about it you ask them to sit in and the session and and uh, it's it's a lovely experience as you know you've probably seen a few sessions it's a very spont- spontaneous thing you know which is, is wonderful you know it's great entertainment really great yeah. entertainment. you know i didn't know as you called it the spiritual heart of irish music because i spent a couple nights in Dublin on my first trip to ireland back in the late 90s dating myself here I remember it was one of those magical moments on a, on a trip. I had a couple. One was just going in for a pint and somebody coming in and then just singing like a cappello, some incredible old Irish ballad. I was like, what is happening here? This is magical. The next day I walked to the Cliffs of Moher, which is about, I don't know how many kilometers it is from. Yeah, we've been the- 10, 15. Yeah, I thought, okay, I'm just going to walk. Yeah. I'm just bringing this up because the Irish people are are so sweet. This woman pulls over. She's by herself. And she just offers me a ride. Now I'm like a dirty backpacker. You know, I'm not even hitchhiking. I don't have the thumb out or anything. She just offers me a ride. I said, well, I just came to walk because I wanted to get some ass. She's like, well, I'll I'll drive you and I'll show you this shortcut and you can walk along. And I said, okay, cool. So she dropped me off and then 
I couldn't find the shortcut and it didn't work. And then she's like, I wish I could take you all the way, but I have to go to my friends, like whatever it was, mm-hmm. some, yeah. something. Yeah. So I was like, couldn't find the shortcut, came back to the road. And then like 30 minutes later, she comes driving back. She's like, oh, my friend's thing was canceled. So I drove back to get you to drive the, <laughs> drive you the rest of the yeah. way. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah. You don't even know me. This is insane. That's, insane. That's the kind of people you meet in Ireland. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. You mentioned great Irish drives, and that is uh, one of the things that you, you bring up in the book and, and getting a car. Because that was another question I had. Should you get a car? Should you not get a car? You kind of mentioned, yeah, like it's, it's good to have a car for some of these things and you can do some of these road trips. And I just wanted to hear your favorite sort of two or three great Irish drives so people can take from this. And, and if they're planning a trip to Ireland, they can kind of dive in and look at some of the road trips they might want to take. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the first one, uh, you, you most people probably drive uh, fly into Dublin. So I'd say do the, the the Wicklow one, which is in the book, and that goes that swings down to Glendalough, which you spoke about. But it's got um, it goes over in a place called the Old Military Road. Um, it's a beautiful scenic drive. Uh, County Wicklow is called the Garden of Ireland, you know, because it's so scenic. It's it's mountain beautiful mountain views um it goes over the military road you'll see waterfalls you'll see a very interesting place called the guinness lake which is basically um a very white sand beach um in a in a valley with with kind of black water um but it 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 washes up to this place called lugala which uh the guinness is owned it was one of the guinness's houses for years it's been sold now um the 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 man who um who owned it the, the the Guinness man died um I think two years ago and they, and they sold it interestingly his brother is very famous as the guy who do you know the Beatles song a Day in the Life yeah of course well that's Tara Brown and and it was Tara Brown's brother who owned this Lugala place so you'll see all that history but but then you'll swing down to Glendalough and you'll swing by a, a beautiful town called Avoca meeting of the waters and then back through uh, Roundwood and back to Bray. That's one of the great drives in Ireland. But um, one of the, uh, the so, there's so many good drives, Jason. Um, one of my favorite drives, uh, we do it on, on our expedition, uh, is in County Kerry. And um, so everyone goes to Kerry and they stay in Killarney and they do the Ring of Kerry, which is a fantastic drive. But but try the the Dingle Peninsula, um, which which is kind of up a little bit and it's just a, a one way trip right around the, the peninsula. Um, it's very very scenic, Kerry cliff country, and and you can you can um, you see the the islands, um, the Blasket Islands out to sea, but it's its focal point is is the town of Dingle. So you got to stop in Dingle, you know. Um, and there's a few places I should mention in Dingle. Like, first of all, you know, if you want the, the quintessential Irish pub, rural Irish pub, stop in a place called Dick Max in Dingle. And it's on, on Green Street in Dingle. And it's the most traditional country pub you can imagine. It's got, like, an old-style Irish bar on one st- side with snugs, you know, cosy little snugs, which are kind of boots, uh, you would call them in, in the in the states um, where you can go in and have a kind of quiet pint and a chat with somebody. 
Um, and on the other side, it's got a leather shop, you know. And this used to be very common. The pub would be would double as like an undertaker's and this kind of thing in the country town, you know, or a real estate place and that. Um, and Dick Max is like this. It's it's like the perfect place for a quiet afternoon pint. But then, like by night, you know, all the musicians will come in. There'll be a session, uh, traditional Irish music session. And as we say in Ireland, the crack is great. You know, the uh, crack is an Irish word. C R A I C. It's it's an Irish word. Just means fun, conversation. You know, divilment. You know, uh, we we measure a good night out by the, the 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 level of the crack. You know, if the crack was great last night, you had a good night in the pub. Um, Not the same crack you get in Philadelphia. But. No, it's 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 a little bit different. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> not the pharmaceutical type but um it's it, dick max is interesting because uh you know i was saying about over romanticizing ireland and it's been a modern country and all that um it's ireland's very good at, at, at readopting it to the future as well like you know it has a foot in the past but also a foot in the future so dick max now is is uh gonna embrace in the future they've got a, a brew house now and they're doing their own craft beers and they've got uh they reinvented themselves during COVID and they have a, a courtyard which has live music in the summer uh, months and they've got food trucks coming in. So it's a whole new kind of thing with, you know, right beside the traditional Irish pub. which I really like that. You know, the, the as I said, the Irish are good at evolving and, and, and adapting. Um, and, you know, Dick Max is so traditional that it's it's great to see that, you know, they're able to, to move with the times as well while keeping the, the essence of, of what made it such a, a great spot, but I also want to mention uh, while I'm while, while we're on Green Street in in Dingle as part of your drive, um, a place I mentioned in the book as the the ten most musical square feet of real estate in Ireland, I call it. I think, um, and it's a little place called the Dingle Record Shop, and it's literally ten square feet. Um, and there's two people in there who run it: Maz O'Flaherty, who is one of the O'Flaherty's, a very famous. Um, musical family in, in Kerry and Brian Lee, I think is the owner, but they're whichever one of them is behind the tail. It's, it's a great, it's a great era of your time. If you, if you like music, they just go in and they're, they're huge aficionados of music and great conversations. They're great company, you know, and you talk about, about music, whatever you're into and, and various songs and all that. But Maz used to, um, she did this podcast uh, with Irish musicians down the years she gave it up a couple of years ago, but she put out a CD um, of of all the compilation. It, it's a great, it's a great thing to have it on a drive around the Dingle Peninsula, a kind of introduction to Irish music, like all the the eclectic types of it. Like there's sea shanties on it. There's um, Shan No Singers, which is what you were talking about. The, the unaccompanied singer in the pub, just you know stands up and there's a hush and nobody says a word and it's it's kind of magical and then there's traditional irish and there i think there's a bit of choral music on it it's, it's a really lovely introduction to irish music and it's called um fare thee well so ask ask for that fare thee well sessions from the shop i think it's called um great great cd to bring home with you uh i i play it all the time here you know um where else in Dingle? Uh, Paul Ganey's pub on Main Street in Dingle is worth a is worth a pint as well because Paul Ganey is a came a famous uh, Kerry footballer, um, Gaelic football, which is is a, a different type to uh, soccer or rugby. It's kind of a, a mix. It's it's her own 
our own national game. So Paul's won championships with with Kerry, um, but he's got a brother who uh, every now and again takes to the dance floor, and it's just something else to watch. He's he's amazing. He's a he's a world champion Irish dancer. He's danced in Las Vegas, and you know he's, I think he's danced in the White House and places like that. But he's just he's just unbelievable. So if you, if you catch him on a good day, you'll see. Um, uh, David is his name. David Geeney doing his doing his this fancy footwork on the floor, and it's it's really special, you know. Um, and then as you leave the town, um, there's the Dingle Distillery, which is well worth dropping into. It's um, it's a relatively new place. I think it's opened the last ten years, but they they do Dingle Gin and Dingle Whiskey. Um, and what makes it special is they've got their own. Um, they use water from their own well. Which is eight hundred feet deep, so it's 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 a real taste of the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is Kerry. We call it we call Kerry the kingdom, but it's um, whatever they're doing, they're doing it right. Like their their whiskey is really really beautiful. Um, you probably know that whiskey is called Ishkabaha in Gaelic, which literally means the water of life. You know, it was kind of started as a medicinal thing. Um, way, way back in medieval times. So, um, you know, which is why we say good health, slant you. Um, but, uh, you know, it's using this this local water and it's, um, the tour is great. It's worth going to. So the Dingle Distillery. And then there's, you know, the scenery after that just gets absolutely spectacular. So that that'll be one of my all-time drives, you know. Um, the Barra Peninsula in Cork, that's that's a fantastic drive as well. Um, it's south of the Ring of Kerry, so you could do the two. And you know, if you're doing the Ring of Kerry, check out the Barra. The Barra is kind of the Irish secret that we don't like to tell, uh, you know, outsiders. That now we're talking. It's it's like the secret, the secret uh, Ring of Kerry, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it's it's special. It's it's really lovely. You know, there's there's lovely places to stop on. I did it. I did it last year with my friend Keith Brittle and his wife and um it's it's a good time it's really special you know amazing thanks for that you mentioned the modern ireland some of the changes have you noticed any changes in tourism over tourism concerns where's kind of the tourist industry in ireland going in your opinion um well it, it like everywhere else i suppose it screeched to a shudder and halt there um in 2020 I was actually there and I was writing a story on Galway um, when COVID hit. Um, and I ended up, uh, Galway is one of the most vibrant uh, cities in, in Europe, in my opinion, because there's so many festivals going on all the time. It's just a great, great town. Um, but I, I was there, I think, in March or April, and suddenly the whole place was just closed. And I, I had to write a story on <laughs> on this lively place, so I reinvented the story in my Irish way and, and called it the Ghosts of Galway. And I got a local historian, and it was interesting. We just walked through this ghost town, and he was pointing out all the historical things that happened in Galway. But um, but as I say, it, it's 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 probably recuperating from that, and it's probably reinventing itself a lot, like the rest of the world in terms of restaurants and that. You know, a lot of the um, a lot of restaurants had to close, a lot of pubs had to close. The, the Irish pub, uh, rural pub, has been struggling for years anyway um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's just cheaper to drink at home and, and people didn't want to be on the roads. Um, and, and 
they banned smoking as well, and that didn't go down well in, in a lot of places, you know. But um, so, so there's a kind of reinvention going on. So to answer your question, I don't really know where the future of tourism is um, in Ireland. I think it'll take a year or two to kind of, you know, to, to head in that direction. But w- one thing I have noticed, um, and it's uh, it's nice to see, is because it's kind of forward-looking, you know, the, the way we tell stories now in the 21st century is through films, you know, movies. And there's an awful lot of uh, movie-related tourism happening in Ireland, which I think is great. It's, it's, it's a really good way of kind of bringing, you know, these ancient places into, into the 21st century and making them interesting to, I don't know, 20-year-olds who, who don't really care, you know, who, who aren't that interested in going around monastic sites. I'll give you a great example. Um, the Skellig Islands in County Kerry, uh, which are these two kind of, they're basically just big rocks coming out of the Atlantic Ocean about a mile off uh, of Port McGee and Kerry. Um, and they, they're sandstone rocks. But what, what makes them interesting is that they were a sixth century monastic settlement, you know, um, and the monks built this incredible uh, rock staircase. I call it the staircase, the stairway to heaven, you know, um, that you can climb up and go all the way to the top. So it's it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, you know. It's it's a fantastic place. It's it's one of those places you've got to see once in your lifetime. You know, it's just absolutely unbelievable. But it's very hard to get to because the boats go out and the boats get cancelled all the time because of the the Atlantic weather is kind of wild and unpredictable. Um, and it's also it's it's not that it's dangerous, but you know you wouldn't want to send somebody who wasn't very firm of, of foot out there, you know, a, an elderly person because you have to climb a thousand stairs of unprotected, you know, you, you make a slip, you're finished, that's it, you know. But you can go and you can just kind of drive past on the boats. The boats just do these drive-by kind of things, and it is worth seeing. But the reason I mentioned those in terms of the the film industry is that they were used for two of the recent Star Wars movies, you know. The, they were used as a Jedi training center in uh, on the on this planet called uh, Akto or something. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but anyway, I'm, I'm not a Star Wars, Star Wars buff. But if you are a Star Wars buff, this is huge. It's like you know, it's you've got to go there. So they've now um, the the smart Kerry people have now uh, initiated a festival for all these people who are interested in it called. Uh, the May the 4th festival, which happens on May the 4th, you know, play on May the 4th, of course. So on May the 4th every year, they you, you, carries inundated with all these people in in um, what's called Darth Vader gear, swishing the swords around and, and all that. And it's great fun, and it brings a lot of tourists in, you know. Um, and I can see that happening uh, shortly with the... Um, the two islands that were used for, uh, have you seen the Banshees of Inishirin, Jason? Not yet. I want to see that. Yeah, but you, you know the story. It's set on, on two of the offshore islands, or sorry, on a, a an offshore island for which they used two of the, the, the real ones, you know. So um, we did a story actually on it recently for uh, in National Geographic Traveler. It's online if, if, if people want to look at that. Um, they they used uh, the Aran Islands of Galway, which are really spectacular, and it's like all those stone walls and 
the Dunangus Fort on the cliff top, and it's just it's a beautiful place to visit. You got to take a boat out there, but you go by the cliffs of Moor, which which you were saying talking about earlier. Um, it's a, it's a lovely spot, and and that's now uh, going to become a destination because of the the success of the the Banshee, I think. And then the other place is um, Ackle Island in County Mayo. That was the main setting for one of the characters' houses in it. Um, it's on, on on this little bay in inlet on a beach. It's beautiful, but Ackle is just it's a great great place. It's it's a, it's a real gem of Ireland's islands. By the way, we have a whole chapter on in in this on on the islands because again I, I kind of felt I got overlooked a lot. But um, Ackle is is a fantastic place for families in particular. Um, if you have kids, it's just it's a really great place to bring them because they there's there's marvelous hiking trails. There's glorious beaches there's there's stunning cliffs uh it's a very kind of dramatic place because it's like right on the atlantic you know you get the winds coming in they have a kite festival every year which is great fun all the kids take the kites out and fly them um and the fairground comes uh every summer so it's it's very festive and it's just a it's a magical place you know a really really lovely place and it's it's got interesting things as well Ackle, like um a deserted village, which was a, a famine era mountainside, and when the potato crop failed, everyone left to go fish in the sea, and it's just this kind of spooky, eerie, deserted village. Um, it's got a lot of pirate folklore because of a woman called Grace O'Malley. Uh, Grace O'Malley was known as the Pirate Queen in in Ireland in the um, 1500s, in just as the as, as kind of Gaelic Ireland was dying, the Elizabethans were pushing everyone west and she was kind of the last holdout and she she would raid the ships and that, uh, Grace O'Malley. Um, and we actually, I, I caught up with a descendant of Grace O'Malley and interviewed her for the book. So her story's in the book. She's an Ackle, um, an Ackle, she has a house on Ackle now. She uh, she lives in London, but she's a descendant of the Pirate Queen. Her name is Annette O'Malley, lovely woman. Um, but uh, again, film will bring a lot of people in. You know, the stories, the the twenty first century stories, if you like, that 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 Ireland's telling now through film will hopefully attract a lot of a lot of people. This has been a common thing, um, you know, since the the, the Quiet Man in the fifties, the John Wayne film. There's a, a the village of Kong in County Mayo is still is still attracting people who um, who want to see where John Wayne kissed Maureen O'Hara, uh, Maureen O'Sullivan, or whatever you know. Um, all these years later, so it's it's good to see you know. But um, but to answer your question, I I don't really know where the where the future is, but it's picking up again. It seems to be um it's it seems to be get be, becoming as vibrant as as it was maybe four or five years ago. So, fingers crossed. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This 
device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Last sort of destination question, and you could just give us one because you mentioned a couple of festivals already, but I was just wondering if you could share an amazing local festival that most travelers never see that we might want to put on a, on a list for visiting Ireland. Um. <laughs> there's so there's so many. <laughs> I'd have to think really, really long and hard about that. Um, the the best festival is the Fla Keol, which happens every year, and that's the traditional Irish fe- festival. And the nice thing about the Fla Keol is that it moves around. It's it's a different destination every year. So the time I saw it was in it was in Drogheda. What's it called? Larry. Fla Kjol. It's a, an Irish word for a festival of music. So Fla is F-L-E-A-D-H. Fla and Kjol, C-E-O-I-L. Fla Kjol. So if you look up Fla Kjol and find out where it is, you know, in the, in the, whenever you're going to be there, um, that's really the one to, to see. But, of course, you, it mightn't coincide with your, your visit. Um, there's also great festival in Clonmel in County Tipperary which you should check out it's a street festival and there's a busking fest festival down there I believe as well which I haven't been to but I'd like to that's that's on, on my list of of must do's uh, the busking festival in, in Clonmel County Tipperary um but you know the best thing to do is it's just you know whatever week you're over there whatever two weeks it's just you know, key in festivals and and find out, or even better, just ask an Irish person. You know where 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 it'll be, because there's always something happening, particularly in the summer. You know, there's always going to be a festival happening, and the nice thing is there's different types of festival. Like Drogheda uh, and the Boyne Valley has a harp festival. Uh, there's a big revival in in harp playing, uh, and you can go and you can sit in these chambers and listen to a very uh, beautiful harpists play, you know, 17th century O'Carolan song um, tunes and that kind of thing. So whatever type of music you'll find it in Ireland, there's an opera festival in, we- in Wexford every year in October. You know, whatever it is, Ireland Ireland will fulfil that need because, as I said, musically we're very very open minded, very eclectic. You know. Yeah. I haven't asked about food. I should just say one or two dishes we have to eat when we're in Ireland. 
Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's interesting, actually, because uh, when I left Ireland, I, this is a, a real insider secret, and I shouldn't say this in public, but I will. Um, you know, when, when I used to go to Galway in the in the 80s, you'd have to go on the back roads because the, the highway hadn't been built, and you'd, you'd stop in some town and you get an awful ham sandwich and a bit of cheese on it if you're lucky you know it was Ireland was just a, a dreadful place for food I, I have to say you know um but in the last 30 years and and we write about this in the book uh there's been a revolution and it's fantastic you know because what happened was all the all the chefs kind of went away to get trained in places like Paris and Stockholm and places like this and they kind of realized that Ireland had the best produce so why weren't we you know putting our best foot forward and they brought back all these ideas and then they went into like the traditional Irish foods that had kind of died a death, you know, for, for 200 years and, um, and they revived it all. So it's, it's just, it's an amazing place to go now. Um, the, the things you really should try are a good Irish stew. If it's, if it's the winter, you can't be a really good Irish stew made with lamb. Um, in the summer, uh we've fantastic fish you know we've absolutely beautiful fish so go to kinsale which is the food cap foodie capital of ireland and there's there's a restaurant called fishy fishy but there's there's a ton of them there's you know 20 good uh fish restaurants and and just sample you know the the, the creations of the, of the local chefs because they're very inventive with 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 the fish and the fish is just absolutely fantastic you know um the first thing i do when i get off the plane jason uh, is <laughs> and my my sister hates me for this. She thinks I'm a luddite. Uh, is I go for fish and chips. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's I get it, taste, man. I mean, it's the one taste of Ireland that I can't get anywhere else. I know? go for Mexican food when I get back to exactly. America. It's, there you go. Yeah, yeah. A Mexican restaurant. I don't care where, how. We're on the way from yeah. the airport. Yeah. yeah. Pull yeah. over. It doesn't exactly. matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get me in there. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I think there is something about getting back to your home country and then just craving certain foods. So that was another reason why I asked about it. And, yeah, uh, it's you, know, you, actually, thing, you know, you have some recipes in the book, uh, which is yeah, pretty yeah. cool. I thought that's not a, it's not your typical guidebook move, but a few recipes in there. Yeah, I like it. I, was like, oh, I might have to try, try a couple of these. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it'd be fun just to, just to throw in a few things and kind of relate them to, to the places and that, you know, like uh, I, my my sister uh, Helen O'Brien helped me with a lot. She's a fantastic cook. I'm I'm a a, a workaday cook at, at the best of times. But um, so so a lot of them were kind of ideas that I got, and then she would knock them into shape. Like she she has a Celtic coffee, uh, which which is is big, and we give the story of that. It was um, it it was uh, invented by a, a a barman down in in County Clare who was working on one of the first transatlantic flights. You know, dealing with customers coming in, and apparently the flight took off and had to be abandoned. And they all came back at two in the morning, freezing. So he offered them hot coffee, and he thought, you know what, I'll just throw in some whiskey, and it took off from there with cream or whatever. But there's little stories about it like that, and. The Irish stew that I, I gave the, the the beef stew at Guinness was um, something that Con Hulahan, you know, the, the 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 sports writer guy I mentioned earlier, he used to cook that in his home at three in the morning because he was a farmer and he always used to have to get up at three in the morning. 
and he'd, he'd put it on and he'd eat it at seven in the morning and that was his routine, you know, and that kind of thing. So there's fun little stories, but um, yeah, they're, uh, Ireland's great for food, I've got to say it, and I never thought I'd say that when I was growing up, but it really has become a, a food destination, which is, is marvellous to see, you know. So Khan was cooking at 3 a.m., writing at 7 a.m., and taking his colleagues, rookie colleagues, out for a pint at 10 a.m. That's well, that's he, lived, he lived in his own time. He, he was living in the Kerry time. I was living in Dublin time. I was just out of bed and, and you know, on my first, <laughs> first Irish press shift, kind of trying to be good, you know, and try, trying to impress people. And he was there here. We were, going, we were going to my office next door in Mulligan's Pub, and, and next thing I had a pint in front of me. So, you know. Um, but yeah, he used to he used to cook the stew like at three in the morning and just leave it cook, and then he'd write this. Uh, he wrote these huge lines. He had to hold the back page of a spreadsheet, so there'd be a, like a thousand word uh, essay. And as I say, it would be vaguely about sport, but it would meander into you know Beckett and uh, history of the continent and blah blah blah, and and on and we'll go, and then we'll come back to sport at the end. It was very very readable stuff. It was great. And then he would have his, his his dinner, you know, at six in the morning, go and file his copy, and uh, people like me would, would would just have to check it, and of course, be word perfect. You couldn't touch it; it was sacrosanct, you know. It was Con Hulan's thing. So, but uh, and and that was his day. He was done at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning, and he would go off, you know, to to talk to barmen about who was uh, who was going to win the FA Cup or, you know, were Ireland going to qualify for the thing or whatever. So He would get well, out of the office, right? Because nothing interesting ever happens in an office, yeah. There you go. We can finish on that. Um, you want to share with everybody kind of, yeah, where they can find you, the book or whatever you want to share? Um, yeah, the, the book you can get anyway. You can get it through uh, Disney. Uh, you can get it through Amazon. Uh, just key in um, Always Ireland, Jack Kavanagh. Um, and if you want a little sample of the book, just go to the Instagram, which is at JK Global Text, at JK Global Text. And we, we just give, give little kind of samples of the book and photographs and, um, as I say, I'll be I'll be going to Ireland in April, so I'll um, I'll get busy on that. Uh, hopefully, I'll have some fun new people to introduce that I'll I'll, I'll come across uh, on my travels in Ireland. But you can follow me on that and and get a sample of the kind of things that are in the book, you know. So so thank you very much, Jason, for for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed our chat. It was great. Yeah, I, I did as well. Thank you. And I have to ask you one last question. You mentioned chatting and daydreaming, kind of being the two unofficial <laughs> pastimes in Ireland. What are you chatting and daydreaming about these days? What am I chatting and daydreaming about? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I've I've uh, I've been chatting to two people in Amsterdam. Uh, and um, one of them is, is my nephew, uh, and we were chatting about, uh, about all kinds of things, mainly, mainly the, the new U2 uh, album and, and to see what it would be like, you know. Um, U2 is, is, is the Dubliners what the Beatles were to Liverpool, you know. <laughs> it's like, like we... we We've been following them for so long that we're kind of interested. There's a lot of people outraged that they're going to have a residency in Las Vegas, but I kind of think it's it's the natural progression for them. It's they were always this huge, huge band. I kind of feel like you know if they go if they go out full on Elvis, you know it'll kind of be appropriate somewhere, you know. Um, but uh, the other thing 
the other thing I've been chatting to is a, a great friend of mine uh, who I worked with in National Geographic. Actually, he was a um, he was an intern in National Geographic when I worked at the, in in DC for international editions, and he's a great pal of mine called Kenny Ling, and Kenny Ling is from Malaysia, and our shared passion is football, soccer. You know, uh, so we have been. Uh, We've been discussing the the recent uh, resurrection of Manchester United, you know, uh, and it's uh, Manchester United is a very Irish club, uh, and this surprises people. They kind of say, "Why do you follow English football, English soccer so so closely?" You know, you're Irish or whatever. But um, we have our own Gaelic games in Ireland, which we love, and that's that's one great thing to do when you're in Ireland. You should try and get to a Gaelic game. It's amateur sport, but there'll be, you know, there could be 60,000 at a final or 80,000 at an All-Ireland final. But we also keep our, a close eye on, on British clubs because down the years, a lot of people uh, have gone across and played for them, you know, who are Irish. So it's uh, Manchester United is a particularly close, closely followed club in Dublin um, because of a guy called Bill Whelan. And Bill Whelan, unfortunately, was one of the Busby Babes, the famous team that crashed, the plane crash in uh, Munich in 1958. So, um, you know, because we lost Liam Whelan in, in Munich, there's a special bond, you know, that Irish people feel that Manchester United is part of us, you know. Uh, Liverpool has that has that Irish connection as well because there's so many Irish in Liverpool, but... Um, that's that's something that surprises a lot of a lot of my my guests how close the two cultures are. You know, we uh, we we had a an eight hundred year marriage of inconvenience, as I call it. You know, <laughs> and and the divorce was pretty bitter. But there's a lot of there's a lot of um, very tight bonds between the Brits and us. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm chatting about these days. Yeah, that's, love <laughs> it. Uh, you know, there's a big following here where you see it a lot in the news of uh, manchester city because of arling holland the uh, oh yeah yeah oh of course he's norwegian uh, yeah yeah he's yeah. Norwegian, the striker so he's getting a lot of uh you know they always show the highlights on anytime a norwegian goes out in the world you know how it is being from a small yeah there's like yeah. a little over five million people in norway so if a norwegian goes out and does something prominent in the world it's just like right. it's, it's everywhere yeah it's everywhere man thanks for your time you know i, I will mention just uh, quickly because you know you love music i do play in a rock band here so if you can get us any gigs in ireland uh, uh you know we're there just, How's just your called? laundry house I'll, I'll send you a link so anyway oh, nice. get us yeah. you know give us an excuse to come to ireland because we're looking to go on the road a little bit here with our with our little our little show so uh i'll tell, I'll tell you now if you if you if uh if you're interested we're we're ha- we're actually having I'm putting together a launch for this book in Dublin in on uh, April the fourteenth. You know, so if you want to oh. come on and play a few songs, you're more than welcome. You know, oh. <laughs> yeah, not a paid gig, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a huge gig. It wouldn't be sellout, like you know. But, uh, <laughs> but it'd be a pub gig, you know. It'd be in Kennedy's well, pub, hey, like you know, it'd be fun. That would be but, that would uh, be a dream. If I could play music in an Irish pub like that to a crowd, it would yeah, be like a, yeah. uh, sort of a bucket list thing for me. It'd be a dream come true. I've always wanted to sit in on an Irish session and have somebody show me some things and just like be yeah, a part of it. Yeah, it would yeah. be so uh, so cool. What but, do you play, Jason? Are you a guitarist? 
yeah, I'm pretty, I, I play a pretty crappy guitar. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the nice thing about sessions is it doesn't matter what level you're at. You can, you can join in in Ireland, you know, as long yeah. as you know a few chords and as long as you're respectful of, you know, okay, it's, it's yes. great. It's nice. And I am respectful when I know a few chords. So there you go. <laughs> Three chords the truth, as they say. Yeah. That's yeah, all you I need. Fit, fit the qualifications, I guess there. So, uh, <laughs> Thanks so much, Jack, and I uh, look forward to staying in touch. And good luck on your next trip over. And enjoy Philadelphia you, for me. Enjoy a cheesesteak for me. I will. I will. Thanks a million, Jason. I appreciate it. Take care. <laughs> okay. There you have it. Thank you once again to Jack Cavanaugh for stopping by the show. Congratulations on the new book and. Hope you enjoyed hearing his recommendations and some of his stories from his home country. Certainly gave me that vibe of wanting to jump on a plane over to Ireland. I'm going to do that in the next few years. I want to check out that roving music festival. Anyway, I want to give a quick shout out here. I'm going to leave you with a quote as well and a little challenge from uh, today's interview to set you about your day. First, I got a follow-up email from Emily, listener of the show. I'll read you a little bit of it. She said, I first reached out to you a little over a year ago, never reached back out because I was still in a fog and very uncertain about what the heck I was going to do with my life. I am now happily messaging you 13 months later to let you know that I did find a bit of a path. I'm only 25. I know it'll change 10 times over. However, I'm not excessively stressed and sad over not knowing anymore. So that's huge. Congratulations on that. She goes on to say she didn't decide to settle down in her hometown in Florida and she will quote be pursuing my goal of working in wildlife conservation and traveling. I graduate from the University of South Florida in May with a bachelor's. I'm in a much better headspace than I was this time last year. I decided not to settle on the five-year program which would have been nice. I love my job but it wasn't my calling. Traveling and working in conservation that's my calling. My fiance and I have discussed adding more travel into our lives in the next few years to come once we've saved up a bit and are more on our feet, we've adopted two dogs together and have decided that that'll never hold us back and we'd still travel, even if that meant bringing them. She goes on to say, you've helped me find some balance of desire and how to achieve my dreams, but also to find myself. Thanks for all you do. So thank you so very much for the kind words. And I just want to say congrats and just highlight that mindset there. I love that they decided to adopt the two dogs and bring them in, into their life. That was something they wanted to do. But the mindset that, uh, she puts forward there, that'll never hold us back. We'll still travel even if that means bringing them. And I just wanted to highlight that quickly because I think that's pretty powerful. Just kind of bringing things into your life and you're saying that this isn't going to hold you back. I remember I avoided living somewhere for so long that when I finally did buy a place in Colorado, that was a big struggle for me when I was settling down from my nomad days because my mindset was that any possession or anything like that was going to hold me back from traveling. So I had to change my mindset and say, hey, look, this isn't going to hold me back. I'm not going to let buying a condo stop me from traveling. And once I embraced that mindset, it just changed the way I approach things. I actually started looking for a place that could accommodate my travels. That meant, you know, having a garage I could put my stuff in, having the capability to rent it out. It just changed the dynamic. And just that mindset shift, I just wanted to highlight that that thing. And whatever you're bringing into your current daily life, and if you're trying to plan your travels in the future, you want to add more travel into your life over the next few years, like Emily does, or whatever the case, just remember that if you're putting everything through that travel lens, make sure you have the right mindset and the right approach. So when you're adding these things into your daily life, just look at them in a way that they're not going to 
prevent you from traveling. I think that's good and healthy for people that want to travel. And it really opens up the mind in different ways to figure out how you can accommodate those things with the travel lifestyle you want to have. So I just wanted to highlight that and to uh, just give Emily a quick shout out there and congrats on not settling on that program and kind of going for your travel dreams. So right on. Okay. I will leave you with a James Joyce quote. First, you know, a little challenge to send you off on your day if you're looking for one. That idea of chatting and daydreaming, that really stuck with me. We talked about that in the interview, uh, the two Irish pastimes, according to Jack, daydreaming and chatting. And what a great way to spend a day. He mentioned just kind of spending a day like that on your travels without an agenda. And so that's a challenge I'm throwing out to you, whether you're home or on the road. Spend a day without an agenda, chatting and daydreaming. Doesn't that sound nice and relaxing? I'm going to find a day in my calendar, and I'm literally going to put down chatting and daydreaming as my tasks for the day. (laughs) So go for it if you want to do the same. Doesn't that sound fun? Open up your calendar one day, and you see, oh, all I have to do today is chat and daydream. Perfect. I can do that. Now I'm going to leave you with this powerful short quote from James Joyce, who said, Mistakes are the portals of discovery. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.